Something's been missing. Ooh, I, I try not to listen. Ooh, I, and I heard you calling from across the line. I kept you at a distance. Ooh, I, It's a long way around to the other side. Yeah, I feel that pull that I can't deny. It's a long way around to the other side, but I wanna be free, wanna get my life. Like the wall of a summer night 
it's not always easy but when the winter comes i will always believe in us on the day that i met you you knew that i knew when i said that i choose you
Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Thank you for joining us here at Trinity. Did you make your way in? So good. Uh, if you're out in the lobby, you can hear my voice and grab your last cup of coffee and make your way in. And um, it is so good to be together to worship the Lord. And I trust that this will be the first day of a brand new week of worshiping God in many different ways. And perhaps you love to worship God through music, and we're going to do that in just a moment. And, you know, but we also worship God through uh, reading and hearing of his word and through our time of prayer and, of course, of fellowship. So we're going to do all those things together this morning. It's good to see a lot of people just uh, getting caught up from the previous week. And just a reminder that we have our coffee fellowship every Sunday morning, starting at 945. So please avail yourself of that. Make yourselves comfortable and come on in and enjoy some extra time of fellowship before the service. And of course, we always have a great time of that afterwards. And so again, welcome. If you're joining us online, we say good morning. Thank you for joining us here at Trinity. Um, glad that you could find us online. And it's just a, a good reminder, too, of that uh, tool and resource that we have, that if you're a part of Trinity and you're traveling, maybe you're on vacation and uh, you can't make it here on a Sunday, or if you're not feeling well in your home, uh, you could always uh, tune in and uh, join us online. Just go to our website, trinityallenwood.com. Just click right on the homepage where it says Watch Live. Or if you can't do that and you've missed a Sunday, just go back and all of our uh, services are archived there, and you can watch any that you have missed. Uh, so there's a lot more to know and be reminded of about, about Trinity, and check our website. And uh, remember, too, as you see up there on the screen, that here at Trinity, we have three words that are very important to us. These are our core values of learn and grow and serve, because that is how we pursue discipleship, by learning the truth, growing in faith, and then serving, and we serve one another, and then we serve the world around us. And so that is a big part of who we are and what we do here at Trinity, pursuing discipleship, being followers of Jesus by learning the truth and growing in our faith and trust in him, and then serving. As I read from God's word, um, let this be our call into worship. And after the reading of the word, we'll stand and pray and then have some time together of singing songs of praise to him, but let these words from Psalm 91 uh, to calm your heart, to uh, encourage you, and even to remind you of why we are here. You are all welcome here this morning. This is a safe place to be because we are here to worship our God and we get to be before him. And we get to do that together, you know, because we're all on a journey with Jesus, some degree or another, some still seeking and some perhaps just beginning their journey and others have spent a lifetime. But we continue to grow in doing so. But yet the scriptures remind us, as this word does this morning, we find great hope in our God because he keeps us safe and secure, even in the midst of life's storms. Our God protects and he provides. He comforts us and he desires to commune with us. So listen to Psalm 91. Perhaps there's a word or a phrase that will resonate with you this morning. And then we will take this into our time of worship through song. 
He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings. You will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Praise the Lord for his word this morning. Would you stand with me as we pray into worship? Father God, we thank you for your powerful word this morning, words of hope, words of encouragement. God, that we may dwell with you and rest in you as we enjoy being in that beautiful, comforting shadow of you, our almighty God. Father, we offer up praise and worship to you now. We desire for it to be a blessing to you. And so we say thank you for this opportunity to worship, and we pray that it would bless and honor you. And so we pray in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus, and we pray for the glory of the Father. Amen and amen. Church, let's remain standing and worship our God together.
Olivia! Praise the Lord. It's good, right? It's good to worship God together in this place. Lord willing, you've been blessed. Would you take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you? Praise the Lord. Uh, I always love that when um, we get to, we're worshiping God and you feel like you want to just keep going, right? We just want to keep going and praising him. Some more songs. There's some looks like, yeah, you know, we don't have to listen to you say any words today. We had the word already and we had some worship. Let's keep going. Praise God. Oh, man. But uh, before we actually dive into God's word today, as we continue our study of Matthew, just want to get caught up on a few things what we call church life. Uh, and uh, just remember that we have a couple of retreats coming up in this fall. And so October 13th to 15th, the men's retreat for our ministry to men here will be down at Harvey Cedars Bible Conference. And so our registration has been up for a couple of weeks on the website. So men, please make sure you save that date. And if you know that you can go, go to trinityallywood.com, go to the events page. You'll see all these things up there, but you can Go and find out all the information, information about our speaker who will be there and the theme, No Man Left Behind, is our theme this year. And um, that means we have to take all of you if we want to be true, right? So all guys, we don't want to leave any guy behind. So please make sure you go to register and you'll get all the information there about cost and timing and everything. And of course, our ladies also have a retreat. It's the week before that, right? And so uh, that's October 7th and 8th, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so ladies, uh, a great opportunity to invite your sisters in the Lord, people in your family, friends, neighbors, It'd be a great time to come out and uh, their wonderful theme this year is becoming 
by beholding? What does it look like to become more like Jesus as we behold him? So ladies as well, all the information is on our website. You can RSVP there. So I uh, know who's coming. So please make sure that you do that. Um, you know, we, uh, I'm not saying the summer is coming to a close, so don't get upset at me, but we, uh, you know, we do during the summer as we kind of take a break in some ministries and uh, enjoy vacations. We're also planning for what's coming up this fall. And so our Tuesday morning Bible studies as part of our men's and women's ministries begin again on September 5th. And so the men are from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. and the women are 9.30 to 11. They'll be going through the books of, I believe, uh, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, and Daniel. So if you haven't been to one of these, it's a great opportunity to dig deeper uh, into God's word together. And these are wonderful uh, life-giving studies. So uh, please uh, make a note of that. Uh, The uh, Wednesday evening service that we uh, do as a combined service with the two other local churches, uh, Shiloh Baptist in Manasquan and the Allenwood Church right down the road from us here in Allenwood. That Wednesday evening service begins again on September 20th. And if you know, we took a break for the summer. That's when we record our podcast during the service. Then we have a wonderful time of discussion and Q&A. And then we end our evening with uh, prayer. And that's really just been a highlight uh, for me, the last few months has just been um, our, our combined prayer time, three different churches, local churches praying together, uh, and it's just been dynamic and wonderful. And so I just encourage all of you that when we begin again on the 20th, that you would uh, be willing to come and join us. Uh, and uh, you can always uh, go to our website and you'll be able to find all of the previous um, episodes as well as we record the first half of that as our podcast, the three pastors together and just discussing the word of God and the challenge that comes from it to not just be um, hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. And that's the focus of that time together. We uh, have been talking about baptism the last few weeks. And so on September 24th, that Sunday, we will have baptisms. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. Make sure you put that on the calendar, on your calendar. So you are here and a good opportunity to invite friends and family and see what that's all about. It's a wonderful time in the life of the church to celebrate uh, commitment to the Lord Jesus, and it's simply just a a very powerful outward expression that the Lord Jesus gave us of uh, the change that has already happened inside. And so, uh, again, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus— for the salvation of your sin and you have not yet been baptized, I encourage you to do so. Come and see me. You have about a month until the 24th. We would love to have you join us on that Sunday to be part of our Baptism Sunday. It's a wonderful wonderful time of celebration and, uh, again, a great time to bring family and friends. So mark that on your calendars, and if you have been thinking about getting baptized and you even have more questions, you did not get to uh, join our baptism uh, class a couple weeks ago, then please come and see me. We'll talk more about it. But remember, it's one of the two ordinances that Jesus gave to the church, right? Communion and baptism. So consider that, but that's uh, September 24th. Our prayer gathering that we have in, in lieu of the fact that our Wednesday evening service is on break, it happens here every Wednesday at 7 p.m., right down the hall in our classroom. And so um, we love our prayer gatherings and we would just encourage all of you to continue to be praying 
and to be a church that prays. And so there's an opportunity for you to get together here on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. to pray. And we will continue to do that up until September 20th when we begin our Wednesday evening service again down the road at Allenwood. All right? And so uh, consider that and uh, keep praying. You know, and just as a side note as well, that if you're not yet on our prayer email list, um, consider signing up. Uh, just send an email to prayer at trinityallenwood.com. And uh, you can, again, find that. You have to write it down, find that on our website. And uh, that's a separate email from just our general email where you can get prayer requests and updates. And it's a true blessing as well to be praying along with others for all kinds of needs, but also to get those emails of updates to see how God is answering prayers. And so uh, consider signing up for that as well and to be part of uh, our prayer warrior team, right? Trinity Kids, you know, this is, of course, our ministry to our children, and uh, it goes up to, I believe, fifth grade, and so um, we do need volunteers, and, um, you know, it's kind of like in school, like, you know, if you don't raise your hand, then the teacher will call on you and make you answer it, and so I suggest, no, I'm just joking, so, um, but as always, of course, you know that we do need uh, looking for volunteers, and so consider that as well. Um, Even if you're new to Trinity, you've been here for a little while and you're looking for ways to serve, we talk about learn, grow, and serve. You want to, you know, find a way to get involved. Uh, Working with children is such a blessing. So we have a great team of of servants who do that already, but we really do need uh, a couple of more volunteers to really help us out to add to that rotation. With either the younger kids or the the older kids, we have uh, three groups that go on right now. And so please consider that, but we really do need volunteers and servants, and so now would be the time as we gear up for a new um, school year, so please um, consider that as well. Uh, Almost done with our announcements, but today, and many of you I know are already talking about this morning, that we have our monthly outreach, and this one is going to be in the Lakewood, so you've been preparing for that, but that is today at 5 p.m. If you are going, we're we're not going to meet here. We're going to meet in the center of Lakewood, and uh, we're going to be handing out blessing bags and sharing the gospel. As you know, Lakewood is a very unique town. We all live near here and shop there and drive through there and all that, right? And so we know there's a very large um, Orthodox Jewish community, one of the largest in the world. But we also have a large um, population of our Hispanic friends that live there. And so we will be serving those, um, who, whoever the Lord brings, but especially those in need, our blessing bags and conversations. So uh, this is one of those times when perhaps God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and to go and to serve and uh, just to share, maybe just to be a listening ear to somebody that's in need, maybe one of the homeless uh, community there, people struggling with homelessness and poverty, and just tell your story, hear their story, and you never know what God's going to do, but a great opportunity. If you're interested in going, please see either Andrew or Elizabeth after service. They'll tell you exactly where downtown in the center of Lakewood to meet, but that is at 5 p.m. today. All right, and the final announcement before we get into God's word, um, you know, we've been praying for Maui, and a couple weeks ago, um, I had mentioned, of course, that most of you realize that our eldest daughter, Lauren, and her husband, Ben, live on Maui. They've been there for a while now, and they both uh, serve, and Lauren works with uh, the Maui Rescue Mission. It's been there many years, and the Maui Rescue Mission serves those on Maui who are struggling with homelessness. 
and with poverty. And they have this amazing ministry. They do whatever basically is needed, but they, they have this mobile shower and laundry unit. It's a trailer where they go around to different areas on Maui and offer these free services to people that are living on the streets or in tents. And it's something we, we don't often think about, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're homeless and, you know, there's places that you may know where you can get food or where you can find shelter or perhaps some um, hygiene kits and things like that. But to be able to regularly take a shower, wash your clothes, things we take for granted, they provide this. Now, of course, you know um, that their efforts and their ministry has taken on a whole new meaning and uh, raised to a whole new level with the devastation from the wildfires there that actually are still going on if you're watching the news. Not all completely contained, but uh, Lauren and Ben have been serving with those in desperate need. Uh, as you can imagine, so many now that are homeless and displaced and struggling, of course. And uh, so they've been serving, um, they've been serving there every day, um, 24-7 in a sense. They started a prayer room, a 24-7 prayer room at their church. And um, Claudia and I have been blessed. This is a sort of a last minute thing, but God has uh, brought all the plans together where we are able to go on a short-term missions trip for two weeks to go help them. We'll be working with Maui Rescue Mission alongside Lauren and Ben. Uh, we'll be working also with their church, which is Hope Chapel. It's one of the larger churches in Maui. Uh, we'll be helping them uh, also the church specifically with um, counseling, with grief counseling, as so many people are dealing with trauma. And um, we've been told that uh, there's this known to be this two-month window of time after such a devastating tragedy like this, where um, we can really help to stem the tide of what will become post-traumatic stress syndrome and so, or disorder. And so um, now is the time that that is needed. So we'll be joining the pastoral staff there to do grief counseling and trauma counseling. We'll also be on the ground helping to serve those most in need in and around Lahaina and Kihei and those towns that were so devastated. So we just want to ask that you would uh, pray for us. The church is helping to support us by going, and the, the most important thing is prayer. And so we leave next Monday, a week from tomorrow, and um, we'll be hearing more about it. But next Sunday, if you're here, we're going to end our service by praying. We're going to ask that the leaders of the church next Sunday come and pray over Claudia and I and send us out for those two weeks. Because you can imagine, you go to a place like Paradise, right, that we all consider, but when you look at the pictures, you know that what's going on there is uh, nothing like Paradise at all. And so we just ask for your continued prayers and support. Claudia and I will be spending time fasting and praying this week in preparation for our missions trip there. And so I'm going to ask that you pray about that as well. Maybe the Lord will put it on your heart to, to pray and fast along with us. Fasting can look different for everybody. Maybe it's a meal or two, or it's a day, or maybe you're fast from something else. The idea is to just take your mind off of one thing and put it on the Lord God. And so just ask that you would join us um, this week in preparation for that. And we'll share a little bit more at the end of the service um, next Sunday. But we would really just love your faithful prayers and encouragement. And the missions team has encouraged us to go. Thank you, Andrew and Elizabeth, for that. Um, 
But uh, anyway, as you can imagine, that's been heavy on our hearts. And so um, let me pray as we open God's word, and we'll be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you, and we do it with eyes closed and our heads bowed in reverence to you, our holy God. And we now, as we open your word together and continue to look at this amazing life of the most amazing Savior, Father, remind us of the power of your word. Remind us through your word how you protect and provide, how you care for us, especially in the midst of trials and temptations. Father, we thank you that we have a Savior who knows what it's like to be tempted, yet he did not sin, so that we can trust in and rely upon and have faith in a Savior who knows what it is like. Father, bless us now. Bless the reading and hearing of your word, and may we be changed because of it becoming more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. There is a very uh, famous, one of my favorites, a famous movie from the early 70s. Of course, I'm dating myself now. It's from 1971 called Fiddler on the Roof. Have you ever seen that before? It is a very um, famous movie. It was a play based upon some writings about Jewish life in Russia, imperial Russia during the turn of the 20th century. And throughout the movie, the lead protagonist, the lead character, Tevya, who is the, one of the leaders in his community, but yet he is a simple, humble milkman living on a farm, and he has uh, children and daughters that he is caring about and worrying about. Some of you know what that's like, but throughout the movie, um, he is talking to God, and there's all these little scenes and vignettes when Tevia is talking to God as he's trying to figure out what's next. He's trying to figure out how it is that he can navigate the changes that are coming his way. And I think we can relate to him because this is, yeah, the end of the 1800s into the 1900s in in uh, Russia, actually, the story takes place in what is now Ukraine and Kiev, and yet we can learn from his story because, see, his life is changing, his world is changing, the traditions of his faith are changing all around him, being tested. And so he has this back and forth struggle with God about what to do but all these things that are now changing so rapidly in his life, in his family, and in his world, and his three daughters whom he's supposed to choose a husband for them and to marry off according to his plans and tradition, one by one, go a different way and disobey him and the traditions of their family and their community and their faith and marry men that they would not have chosen for them. And so I think we can relate because don't we watch the news or read the news every day and we consider what's going on around us? We just see it in our experiences of life and how things are rapidly changing in our world. 
Now, of course, we know change is a part of life, right? It's been said it's the only constant in life is change. It seems like it's just happening more quickly, with more rapidity, doesn't it? And almost to the point where we can't handle it, and sociologists have said that, yes, that the changes, even in just technology, let alone everything else, are almost too much for the human mind to navigate and to bear because of how fast things are changing. And so the character in the story, The Fiddler on the Roof, he understands this and he is struggling with it in his day and age. And so in each of these scenes, when he's talking to God, you ever do that just kind of out loud, you talk to God? God, what on earth are you doing here? And we always tend to look up, right? Mm -hmm. So he's always in the movie kind of looking up, talking to God, but he's got this back and forth where he uses this interesting phrase and he says, on the other hand, did you say that? On the other hand. We say, oh, on the other hand, there's this, and you realize, well, we only really have two hands. How many other hands are there? But listen to some of these back and forth conversations with God. It's really, I think, more of a monologue. It's him talking to God, looking for God to answer him. But Tevye is talking to God once about model. It's his oldest um, actually, it's the young man who his eldest daughter wants to marry. And so he doesn't like this guy, Model. He is just a poor tailor, not his choice for his oldest daughter. So he says to God, well, he's beginning to talk like a man. On the other hand, what kind of match would that be with a poor tailor? But God, on the other hand, he's an honest, hard worker. But on the other hand... He has absolutely nothing. But on the other hand, things could never get worse for him, only better. He's only got two hands, but there's a lot of other hands there, right? So later on, Tevi is talking to God about Hava, his youngest daughter, who secretly wants to marry, wait for it, a Christian from Russia. She says, Papa, I beg you, to accept us, because evidently they had gotten secretly married. So he's talking to God, because in his tradition, she should be dead to him and the family. To accept them, God? How can I accept them? Can I deny everything I believe in? On the other hand, can I deny my own child? On the other hand, how can I turn my back on my faith and my people? If I try to bend that far, I will break. But on the other hand, and finally he says, there is no other hand. And he walks away. A very powerful and poignant part of the story. But as we move on, let me read to you just a, a bit of the, the, the monologue from the very beginning of this story. Listen to what Tevius says, and I think it'll sum up sort of the, the background of what's going on in his heart and his life, and will be our jumping off point as we get into Matthew 4 today and the second temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Listen to what Tevius says at the beginning of this story. He says, in our little village of Anatevka, Every one of us is a fiddler on the roof. 
trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. You can picture a fiddler playing the fiddle on top of a roof. It isn't easy. And you may ask, why do we stay here in this land if it's so dangerous? We stay because Anatevka is our home. But how do we keep our balance? Again, picturing the fiddler balancing on the top of a roof. That I can tell you in one word, tradition. Some of you want to start singing, I know. It's okay. Because of our traditions, and listen to what he says, because of our traditions, we have kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything and how to eat and how to sleep and how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. But you may ask, how did this tradition start? Well, I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Traditions, traditions. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. What keeps us balanced today as we navigate all this change in life? As we seem to be standing on ever-shifting sand, as we try to keep our heads above water, as we try to live as citizens of heaven... In this broken world, what keeps us balanced as we try to remain steady, steadfast, and secure, all the while feeling like a fiddler on the roof? But what keeps us balanced is the Word of God. In our Word today, Jesus shows us In being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what we are to do in those moments of trial and temptation of life, how do we stay standing when tempted? It's by the Word of God. The Word of God is like our tradition in Fiddler on the Roof. Tevye struggled with compromising his traditions and his beliefs as things around him change, church, are we willing, church, to compromise the very word of God as our world around us changes? I'm kind of looking for a response for that question. Are we willing to compromise the word of God? No, we're not. Amen. Satan tried to get Jesus to compromise his belief, to give in to pride, which of course was Satan's very own downfall. See how deceitful and duplicitous the enemy is. He tried to get Jesus to act outside of what God's will would be. And we saw that in the first temptation as well. It's as if Satan was saying, Jesus, you don't need God the Father. Well, you're the chosen one, right? You can do whatever you want. You can turn these stones into bread and satiate your hunger as he had been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. But here is our passage for today, Matthew 4, verses 5 to 7. And this recounts the second temptation of Jesus 
who was in the wilderness, actually not during this temptation, as you'll see, but met by Satan in the wilderness to be tempted. And of course, all along, God is allowing this. Let me read this to you. I'll give you a, a brief overview, just quickly, of where we are in Matthew. And we just want to briefly unpack these three verses and what it is we can glean from God's word as we hear about Jesus being tempted to do something that he knows is outside of God's will, something that we are very, very familiar with. Matthew 4, 5 through 7, So then the devil took him into this, the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, this is Satan saying to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That is his simple response. You ever notice how Jesus' responses are just always right to the point, always cut to the root of things. Let's look at this. Matthew 4 or 5. Just remember that in Matthew's gospel, he is writing to a predominantly messianic Jewish audience, which means they are predominantly Jewish men and women who have now, most of them recently, believed in Jesus as the promised Messiah the one who would come and save them. So they have believed in him for salvation nationally and personally. But now Matthew is writing this account of Jesus' life and ministry to them for a specific purpose, right? Because every book of the Bible has a specific reason and purpose it was written to a certain audience. And Matthew's main reason is to show Jesus as the king of Israel who has brought them, their long-awaited kingdom. We call this series King and Kingdom. It's a study of the Gospel of Matthew. So he has shown Jesus to be the true king by his lineage, by his character, by the fact that he was baptized right before he was led into the wilderness. Remember we talked about how when you make that commitment, especially at baptism, you never know what Satan's then going to do because you've just made your commitment. But I think that was probably like the worst promotion for getting baptized. Yeah, come and get baptized and see how the enemy will then attack you. September 24th, right? <laughs> but we see that's what happened in Jesus' life. And often you hear those stories when you perhaps recommit your life or you take that public stand because now you're saying, I stand with Jesus, not with the enemy any longer. I am no longer that old person. I am now going to, as Jesus said, to put to death, as Paul said, to put to death the flesh, the outer person, as we have these new spirit within us, the spirits. And so Matthew is writing to this Jewish audience to say, Jesus is the promised king, and he has brought his kingdom. So now he says about the second temptation of Jesus, that the devil took Jesus into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. You remember the first temptation was that 
he, uh, he knew, of course, Satan knew that Jesus was hungry, had fasted and thirsted, and so, of course, being fully God and fully human, he was hungry and thirsty, and so Satan said, why don't you turn all these rocks into bread, and you can eat and have your fill, right? Jesus told him, from the word of God, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? Every word comes from the mouth of God. And so, again, the word of God is what keeps us balanced when there is shifting sand beneath our feet. But he takes them to the holy city, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We want to know what's going on in the world and where God is active and where he's taking us according to his word. Make sure you regularly check on what's going on in the Middle East and in Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. The holy city. He takes them to the holy city and he takes them within the holy city where? To the temple where people, where the Jewish people would go to worship and to pray and to offer sacrifices to honor their God. It's, it's where God would dwell. So Satan is saying, let's go almost like to your father's house. Let's go to where you are welcome. This is your future home. It's as if Satan was saying. He is tempting Jesus, saying God will be there, the place where God dwells. It's your city after all. Can you just kind of hear that in his voice? Oh, this is your city because if you are the Messiah, then this is yours, the city of David, and you're the king, right, after the lineage of David. And so, of course, let's take you there, and we're going to take you up to the very top, the pinnacle of the temple. He had him stand there. And in verse 6, he says to him, so if you are the Son of God, let's park there for a second. If you remember from last time we discussed that phrase that he uses again, of course, Satan knows that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus knows it himself. So why would he say, if you are, what it really means is it means Satan is saying, we both know who you are, but why don't you prove it? Prove it to me. Prove it to everybody else. You don't even need God the Father. So if you are, I mean, we know you are. It's like, yes, it's assumed, like, we know it to be true, but now what are you going to do about it? So if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. So he brings them up to the top of the temple and says, jump. To Jesus, he says, jump. But then look what the devil does. He kind of takes a, a, a play from Jesus' playbook. Remember, Jesus' response to him so far has been from the Word of God, which Satan knows. Remember, Satan knows the Word of God probably better than we do. It doesn't mean he's omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He's not all-powerful like God. He's not omnipresent in all places at all time like God, but yet he knows God's Word, doesn't he? Because he knows God. And so the devil takes the very word of God, twisting it as it always does, and throws it back at Jesus, like saying, okay, you want to play that game? I'll give you the word of God. I'll give you your father's words. He says, for it is written. For it is written. So this, again, is the devil quoting the scriptures. And he says to Jesus, oh, well, it's written, he, meaning God, will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So, boy, isn't that so deceptive of our enemy? 
that he would take the very word of God and point it back to Jesus. Say, well, according to your very own word, you could jump and nothing will happen to you. So angels will come and, and scoop you up and protect you and you won't even strike your foot against a stone. The ones that you could have turned to bread, we could have been done with this whole thing already. Mm. So again, he's saying, jump from the tallest peak and see if God saves you. Of course he will, because you're the Messiah. He's trying to get him to question his own identity. Is that not an issue for our day, church? He's trying to get Jesus to question who he truly is. Are you really who you think you are, Jesus? Because if you are, you can jump and nothing will happen to you. Because God's word, it's written, says that his angels will protect you. See, what Satan does is he quotes from the psalm that we had as our call to worship today, Psalm 91. A wonderful, beautiful psalm about how those who put their faith and trust in God will be protected. doesn't mean everything always works out great for us. So it's not like an absolute promise that you put your faith and trust in God, then you have a perfect life with no trials and no temptations. What that psalm is saying is that there is always hope in God. There's always hope, and he will watch out for you. And it's really telling us, as you trust and put your faith in Jesus, every step of your journey with him, he is there with you, watching out when you are walking according to his will. See, it's always according to his will. The devil is trying to get Jesus to even question his own identity. I guarantee you, church, that's what our enemy still tries to do for us as followers of him today. Who are we? Are we really saved? Can I have assurance? I mean, I haven't been to church in a few weeks. Not that we take attendance, so I'm not looking. I haven't been to church in a few weeks, you know. I haven't been to, every, every time after service, I feel like you were looking right at me. Maybe I was, you know. Ah, uh, you know, I, I haven't read my Bible in a while. I can't remember the last time I, I prayed or even talked to like a Christian or whatever. Like, maybe I'm not really saved. So I believe the Bible tells us we can have full assurance of our salvation because there's only one condition, and is that we believe in the Lord Jesus. Salvation. We can't lose that. We should be 100% assured of that. Yet, of course, in our humanity, there are times we may doubt, but those doubts are lies from the enemy, just like saying, hey, throw yourself down, and you'll be protected. You're a child of God, so you can step in front of a moving train, and you'll be fine. See, it's important to understand what the enemy is doing here. The key is this. Are you trusting God or are you trusting someone or something else to save you? Hmm. The psalmist in Psalm 91 is saying, when we trust in God and dwell in him and take refuge in his shelter and nowhere else, then we're placing ourselves right in God's will. And that beautiful psalm in the beginning, it says that we will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. We want to be in his beautiful shadow. Just think of being out in the hot, scorching sun, and you need relief in a place of respite. You go into the shade of a beautiful tree. Like, oh, this is much better. We can be in the shadow, the shade of the Almighty, protected 
in him, especially during life's times of trials and temptations. Life may include despair or distress, but if it's good for us, God will allow it if we are trusting him, because it means we are in his will. Also, recognize this as the enemy is using the very word of God, as he says, as it's written, to go back to Jesus. He would have known the prophecy from Malachi chapter 3. It says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, there's even that prophecy that that the Jewish people would understand, well, when this king comes, when the Messiah comes, we're going to find him at the temple. He's going to descend from the sky, and we'll see him at the temple. So it's fitting that the devil says, hey, come with me to the top of the temple. Show everybody that you really are who they think you are and who you say you are. The Jewish people, especially the leaders, expected the Messiah to come with a big sign, right? Some kind of big spectacular work to prove he was the Messiah. John 6 says it this way. So the leaders said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we can see and believe you? What kind of work will you perform? It's just like kind of treating him like he was in the circus, right? What are you going to do for us now, Jesus? And to really, really prove that you are the Messiah. And then they, what do they do? They bring up the history of Israel and God. They say, you know, our fathers, our forefathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. Ooh, that was a miracle. Can you do that, Jesus? As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. See, even the, the leaders of the day were bringing scripture back to Jesus and saying, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just give us bread from heaven like you say your heavenly father did? Satan is tempting Jesus. Will God protect you? Jesus, do you really trust your heavenly father? Are you sure you're the son of God? Are you sure you are the chosen one and that this actually is your mission and your calling? Doesn't he use the same tactics with us today? It's really where you're supposed to be in your life, Satan is saying to you. Really? This is all the money that you're making right now? This is who you're with? This is what your life looks like? This is what you wanted it to be. Do you see all the lies of the enemy trying to get us to question who we truly are? Because the Bible says that we are children, sons and daughters of the living God, that we are a holy priesthood, that we are called according to his purposes, that we are safe and secure in him, that we are redeemed and reconciled to God through Jesus, and we must never forget that. And finally, verse 7 so this is what Jesus said. On the other hand, it is written. So of course, the devil brought him the word of God. So Jesus says, how about this one? You shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, simple and direct the point. Deuteronomy 6, 16 says it, what Jesus is quoting. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him in Massa, that's, Jesus doesn't quote that part. But he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16, most likely, where it says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But in that verse in Deuteronomy, it says, as you tested him at Massa. What happened there? 
If you remember, that was the story where the people were in the wilderness after God had saved them out of bondage in Egypt and Moses is leading them. And what do they do? They start complaining right away, right? We don't have food. God sends them manna and then sends them quail. They didn't like the manna. And then what happens is they get to a place and they're like, we're thirsty. We don't have any water. What kind of life is this, Moses? This is where your God has brought us. You know anybody like that in your life? Hmm. This is the place, Masa, where people of Israel complain. Jesus is telling uh, Satan, I'm not going to test God in this temptation. I'm going to trust him. Because the people didn't trust God back then, see? They didn't trust him in the desert at Massa, but God provided. How did he do that? Do you remember the water from the rock story? He told Moses, take that staff that I told you to use to part the Red Sea. Go, and, and I'm going to show you this rock, and I want you to strike the rock, and water's going to come out of it, and everybody's going to be satisfied. God provided for them. What is Jesus saying by using this scripture he doesn't include that second part, but again, you put it together, you see the amazing references from the Old Testament. These, of course, are scriptures that are chosen on purpose. Jesus saying, God has a plan in it all. Are we trusting God or not? The people were, were thirsty, but it's almost like Moses was saying to them, and God was saying, um, didn't I just part that big red sea? Did I just protect you with that pillar of fire and cloud remember all that well no because in deuteronomy see what was happening was moses was kind of collecting his sermons probably from the past few months he's like collecting his sermons to give to the people of israel that were about to enter the promised land now this is important because that generation didn't experience those miracles they heard about them but see they didn't live through that so Moses is recounting to them in this book of Deuteronomy, this collection of his messages to them, to say, here, remember this. He, he compiled them, and he's saying, here, remember all that God has done for you. He's got a plan and a purpose. You're about to go into the promised land, finally. All your ancestors are not going to get in. Moses didn't even get in. He's like, you've got to be prepared to enter into the promised land. So remember all that God has done for you. Church, I just can't help but make a connection to where we are today. We pray that Jesus would come back soon. We don't know the day or time. Pray that it would be soon. But as that day draws closer, Scripture tells us what our world will begin to look like, and we see it. We see it more and more every day. So if we are approaching, which we are, if we are quickly approaching that day when as a church, as believers, we will see that promised land, which we call heaven, we need to be prepared and all the more reason to be reminded of the goodness and provision of God, which is what Moses did by writing the book of Deuteronomy. To say, here, you're going to go to the promised land, you're going to need this, so I'm not going to be with you, Joshua will take over but remember how good God is. So Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test, as the people did at Massa. Trust in God. Jesus was saying to the devil, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust in him. And finally, reminded of this, Jesus was baptized, tempted in the desert, 
Then he begins his earthly ministry. This is all happening in preparation. See, the king is proclaimed. Now the king is preparing for his ministry, ultimately to usher in the kingdom. He is being prepared by his father for the ministry. And it's as if God the Father, and this is really important as our last point here, that Jesus needed to desperately rely on his father in order to fulfill his mission. So he was tempted in the desert. We deal with temptation all the time. Remember what we said last week, being tempted is not a sin. The sin is when you consider that temptation, when you give in, whether it's in thought or deed, because Jesus said, hey, you've heard that it's a sin to murder. I tell you, if you have anger against a brother or sister, then you're already a murderer. Because why? Sin is a matter of the heart. That's why we need Jesus, because we have all sinned. The bottom line is, we need to trust God and nothing and no one else. Jesus was tempted by the evil one to do something on his own, apart from God, to jump from the highest point of the temple to prove who he was. But see, that's not God's will. That's not God's way. God decides who we are. Is there anything to prove it? God has declared it to be true. We receive it as a beautiful gift. We are also not to put ourselves in unnecessary danger to prove our commitment to God. That's not how God measures commitment. God measures commitment by faithfulness. When we get to heaven, don't we want to hear those good words we see in Scripture? Well done, good and highly successful servant. Well done, good and and wealthy and famous servant? No, my version doesn't say that. Well done, good and faithful servant. God wants us to remain faithful. Jesus said, I want to remain faithful to my father. I'm not going to jump. I don't need to prove anything because God's word said not to put him to the test. Let's just trust him. So why do you think, let me ask you this question in closing, why do you think The evil one was testing Jesus. What did he have to gain from this? What was his real motive? I think it was to kill Jesus. Because, see, the enemy still thinks, it's hard to imagine, the enemy still thinks that he can win, even today, over 2,000 years later, after Jesus died and rose again. The enemy thinks he can still destroy God's plan. That's always been his number one motive. Jesus said that the enemy has come, listen, to kill, steal, and destroy. Could get any clearer than that? It's always been his motive to thwart God's plan, God's plan to redeem the world. Satan tried it in the garden with Adam and Eve. He tried it through Pharaoh. He tried it through Herod. In our story of Matthew, he's going to try it through Judas. Now he's directly tempting Jesus to give up on God's plan. Go ahead and see what happens. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he had finally won. See, but what Satan was missing, what he didn't understand was that Jesus' death on the cross would actually be the devil's ultimate defeat. See how it came right back to get him. Because Jesus rose again on the third day and defeated death. So his death brought life. Satan wanted death. Jesus 
gives us life. There is only life found in him. The scriptures make the gospel very clear, church. That salvation is only found in Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can be as good as you'd like, as moral as you'd like. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father through me. No one gets reconciled to God. If you want eternal life, you come only through Jesus. And it makes it clear, there's one condition for that salvation, that reconciliation to our creator God, that we believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. It says it time and time again, that if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, this is what's being tested here, that he is who he says he is, the very son of God, the savior, the coming Messiah, and that he did what he said he was going to do, which was die on the cross to take upon himself our sin and shame. That he died in our place, but then he rose again on the third day. That we believe that he is who he says he is, he did what he said he was going to do, and it's important that he did it for you. It can't just be some theory or something that is true, but it has to be true for you, and it is. Do you receive that truth? Do you receive that gift of salvation that God offers to you through his one and only son, Jesus? See, God did everything that was necessary himself. So all we have to do is say thank you by receiving it by faith, believing and trusting, having faith, meaning the same thing. We believe that truth, that it's true for us. Then the question is, you want to be a follower of his? You want to be a disciple? See, the gift is free. But being a follower of Jesus, that's hard work. That takes sacrifice. That's when Jesus said, you want to be my follower? Talking to believers, you want to be my follower? This is what you got to do. They're like, yeah, what is it? What is it? Take up your cross. I don't like that. Deny yourself. I don't like that either. And follow me. Where was he going? To the cross. Death to self. That's what a follower of Jesus does. Would you stand with me, please? I want to read this final scripture as our blessing over us and as our word of encouragement. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Let these words just kind of sink in as we pray and close our time together. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's you and me and all believers throughout the world being tempted and tried just like you. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. So as we try to navigate life like the fiddler on the roof, let us stay balanced by standing on the word of God not wavering on what it says about us and who we are in him. Because God is always faithful and always worthy to be trusted. Amen.
Father God, thank you for our time together. As we leave this place, may we not only go in peace, but may we go proclaiming this truth. May we go proclaiming your very word as Jesus did to our enemy when he brings temptations and trials our way. God, we want to be found strong. We want to be found firm and steadfast in our faith. And God, thank you for reminding us that we have each other to help us. This family of believers throughout the whole world who are undergoing the same kind of sufferings, thank you, God, that we can rely on each other. We can rely on you. To you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us again today. Lord bless you.